0: John, I remember where we were in your truck. I remember the bend on the road right past the lake. Yep. We were coming home from one of our earliest elkless elk hunts, which was the theme for us for lots of years, as you know. And you were the first man that I intentionally brought this question to that I had been wrestling with for so long. And it was a question of how do we recover the ancient path What is the path to life? What is the process for a man to become wholehearted? And I remember you said, there are no shortcuts. That was the first thing that you offered. There are no shortcuts. And I didn't even know at the time that's what I was looking for. What I was really wanting was a shortcut to kinda happy, easy, meaningful life. You know, the shortcut to these core desires of get something going, make a name for myself, make a little money. And you really pulled the rug out from underneath me in a really loving way. And then I remember you turned in that conversation and said, Morgan, just pause and look at the men that are older than you, men in their late forties and fifties and sixties, and just ask the question, what's taken them out? And where have they lost the way? And so that conversation began a process that now almost 20 years later has led to this.
1: Friends, welcome to the Ransom Heart Podcast. Morgan Snyder, John Eldridge here with a really, really exciting episode. I'm personally stoked to do this. We've got some great stories to tell about a man's journey, about what it looks like to become wholehearted, what it requires of a man to become wholehearted. Ladies, you are going to love listening in on this. And you're going to want to share it with the guys in your world. And, fellas, if you've hung around with us at all, you've got some idea of the direction that we're headed. But the news you don't know that we're announcing today, Morgan wrote a book. Morgan wrote his first book. It's called Becoming a King. And we're going to talk about that book today today here in May, although it comes out at the end of the month, we want to let you guys, our friends and allies, know about it right now. So what's the subtitle?
0: The Path to Restoring the Heart of a Man.
1: Congratulations, by the way. I happen to personally know what it takes to write a book, and it's epic, and it requires a parade and a 21-gun salute and a flyover by the Blue Angels. But I want to I wanna unpack this idea of the ancient paths. What is it about men that you are trying to speak to in this book? What was it about you in the truck hmm. on that bend in the road that you went on for 10 years to kind of research and think about that you now want to share?
0: Hmm. John, it's a fascinating question because as I observe my own heart as a man and all the other men I know is that you see the seed of greatness. You see some strength and some desire to affect change for good in the world, to offer our strength and our power in some greater service. We were made to be powerful. And what we so often find when we observe men is the damage of what's gone wrong, the consequences of men being entrusted with power. And ultimately, it brings a harm to themselves and to those entrusted to our care instead of the good in which it was intended. And so I think, John, at the core of this is this question. It was a curiosity of what do we do with the nature of the heart of a man that's made to be powerful, and how do we wrestle with the reality of where it's gone wrong, and is there a way to recover a path and a process that allows a man to become whole and to become who he was made to be.
1: Yeah, it's huge. And this book took you how long to write?
0: You know, it was a full 10 years
1: of being in
0: this message and putting words to it. It started with a 6-year manuscript of 350,000 words oh. that I <laughs> 350,000 in my first pass. And I would never write a book that way again. But through then three more years of chiseling, it got down to fifty-five thousand words, and and uh, so it's been a a long holy process.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was on an interview myself the other day, and they were asking about Ransomed Heart and kind of what's our mojo, and what I was trying to explain was one of our core values is not to teach anything we haven't lived. First, we've just all been in big ministries and big churches, and and the pull and the temptation is to have the latest and greatest and, you know, kind of wow and impress. But the problem is that a lot of what's getting put out there are theories, good ideas, big mm-hmm. ideas, but they actually haven't been lived. And so a book like Get Your Life Back, you know, I, I had to go get my life back. I didn't even plan on writing that book, and then the book came. And you were not looking to write a book. You were looking for some answers. You were a young man in your 30s. And I love the process that was your research process in this about going to guys. And so I I want you to describe that. Because then it it led into a retreat that we call our intensive, and, and then it led into the book. But the book was kind of last. Right. Describe that process that you, hungry young guy in your 30s, went and undertook.
0: Sure. Well, I mean, it started with the check engine lights that are so easy to ignore on my truck or at that time on my minivan, right? The lights are on telling you something needs attention, but I was uninterested at first to give it attention. And to be honest, if I looked at my life on the outside, it looked really good. Two young kids, a young marriage, young, meaningful work. We're going out changing the world. But things were not all firing well on the inside. And when I took an honest inventory, John, there were places where I was unhappy. There was anxiety and fear, a lot of it unnamed. And I found myself turning to God, asking the question of what's the path? Like, help me understand as a young man is being initiated into an older man, what is the path and process? And I asked God, and for a couple weeks, I heard nothing. And then as I settled into it, I really sensed God say, I want to speak to you, but I want to do it through older men. You're asking the right question. And so make a list. Find the oldest men you know that you respect and ask them. And so it began. You were the first one I talked to, but I made a list of men in their 50s and 60s and 70s and made a list and i wrote letters to them saying what's the path what have you learned what can i know from wisdom's long view from your vantage point the things you wish you knew when you were my age and what began was something unorchestrated by me but totally orchestrated by god is a series of conversations i would have you know over a cigar or a pint or over coffee Sometimes it was just letter correspondence with people in different states or even in different countries. And it came as a rhythm of about a man every two weeks. And what unfolded over two years was nearly 75 men that were helping to recover treasures. You know, Chesterton says that every generation loses the gospel, and it's every generation that's charged with its recovery, the recovery of this path of life. And so, John, what, what began to form was this collection of vignettes and stories and proverbs, and each man had unique things to say because he's speaking right. out of his life, right? Right, yeah. And then had unique things to say about my life because each one had different you know, visibility on my life. But what also came out predominantly was a universal path was a story that was timeless and it wasn't new, but it was being newly recovered. And I started pulling these ideas together and part of it was choosing to take the lowest seat. It was radical ideas that, you know, the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. And it was invitations to excavate when I desired so much to build. It was an invitation to enter training when I wanted to lead. It was to take the lowest seat and to serve others. It was to replace my exclamation points with question marks. To even ask myself, what are the questions that I don't even know yet to ask? And so that process unfolded and years into it, an ally said, you gotta share this. Like I know men that are dying, that are in this season With us and need these treasures. And so I gathered a group of guys I knew and we got some pizzas and some beers. And I just read them the council. And after I read them, I could just feel the emotion well up as I share this. After I read to them the council, we all looked at each other, me included, and were in awe of this ancient path being recovered. And it wasn't until years later that we were prompted to say, let's try. Doing this together, let's get a weekend and wrestle with these ideas and get into our stories, see what we can excavate, invite God's care under the protection and the provision of some father figures. And so Craig and Bart were the first guys at the time to act as the sages and the elders And as the years went on, it was a God-led initiative where eventually I was able to bring in many of those elders and sages, those voices of wisdom, and match them up with these younger, up-and-coming men who are asking the right questions, who have suffered and are wrestling with their pain and want to recover the path. And that birthed the Become Good Soil Intensive. And then in time came the book. But what was really powerful in it, John, was there was a time where I did want to write it. I believe I am a messenger and I believe part of my calling is to be shaped by and shape men and women who are shaping the kingdom. And so I felt compelled to offer it. And God was very clear to say, first, you must become the kind of person that can be entrusted with this message. And then secondly, only in that process, write something that's worth sharing, that's beneficial to others. And then only after it exists is the third part of finding a way to bring it to the world. And so that was several years in process, but that's where the book came from. But it was rooted in an ancient story and far deeper than my own life.
1: Become the kind of person that can be entrusted with this message. Yeah. That's the core of the intensive. Right. That's the core of the book, become the kind of man or woman who God can entrust his kingdom to. Yes. Influence, reputation, money, power, whatever that looks like. People that, you know, you're the coach of a soccer team, you're a teacher in a classroom, you're a youth pastor, you're a senior pastor, you're a small business entrepreneur, you are a CEO of of a Fortune 50 company. Right. You know.
0: You're a mother, you're a father. We all have a kingdom, right? It's in our design.
1: Yes. It almost feels like the heartache of the world right now is unfinished men. Mm. It's their heartache. They don't like feeling like that. Right. And it's the world's heartache because then things don't go so well. Yes right? Yeah.
0: I think what I observe is in an age of progress where there's more and more faster and faster, the nature of leverage is showing itself very open-handedly, right? The, The ability to leverage power in our age is greater than any other age. And because of the information age, we get to see it. And so I think you're right where it's nothing new, But particularly in this age, more than ever before, we are getting real-time visibility to people in power, particularly men, who are unfinished. And they often desire to do good and to be good, and yet they find themselves unable because they have been unwilling to take the slow and steady path and process.
1: Yeah. Unwilling and unshepherded. Right. There hasn't been a lot of people around to show men the way that you got to first take a look under the hood and you do need to deal with your own soul first before you get that promotion, make a bunch of money, marry a girl, you know, like start working on the interior because the exterior will take care of itself, right?
0: Right. And it's amazing how influence and kingdom has a slippery ability to come and go on the externals. In other words, you know, the scripture says God can cause the rising and falling of a kingdom, that we get so concerned with our external kingdoms that we miss the work of becoming the person that can be entrusted with it. And the fascinating reality of nature we find is that God is looking to entrust people with the care of his kingdom. It's our first job description for all of humanity. right? He said, I invite you as men and women to rule, to bring forth my heart, my character, my nature over all of creation. And so it is God's design. It is God's desire and it's God's intention that we rule. And so what I Believe is that if we put our energy towards recovering that path and process, that influence comes, but it becomes very ordered by God and it becomes that which is actually good for us yes. rather than what we're just trying to get out of our own need for validation.
1: Yeah. I was a young man, brand new Christian, super gifted though, in love with Jesus. And I remember getting. Promoted in my church to places of influence. And even as a young guy, early 20s, something in me knew this is wrong. Why are you giving me this power and this influence? I don't think I should be driving mm. this thing, you know? Yes. And I actually ended up getting very hurt in a position of influence in the church because I was too young. Yes. There were so many unhealed things in me, so much that needed just loving care and loving fathering. And now one of the classic questions I get around, you know, the message we have for men is they'd say, what would you say to your 20-year-old self now? I'll be 60 in June. What would you say to your 20-year-old self now? And I would say things like, take your time, pal. Mm -hmm. You're going to be fine. You don't have to build fast, right? But you were describing, you were 30 in the car, in the truck on that conversation, and you were feeling already like, I'm not building fast enough.
0: Right, I'm behind, right? I mean, that's the ache, is I felt behind. And it was behind with my finances, behind with my fitness, behind with my yard work, right? Whatever the thing was, it was that incessant sense of I'm already behind.
1: Yeah, it's awful. And then you talked about leverage. The problem with the modern world is it added unbelievable leverage to it. I remember when Luke came in at nine years old and said, dad, could I have a chainsaw? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And I Okay, I love the desire. Yes. I love the twinkle in his eye, right? But you do not put that kind of power in the hands of a nine-year-old. Yes. In the modern world, there's just so much. There's quick money there's influence there you know just literally technology just can put lots of x factor on top of anybody right and suddenly right. suddenly you're a big deal oh exactly
0: but you're not finished right and then as it says in mask of zora we fight bravely and we die quickly yeah right i remember sitting with a man early in this process and he was talking about that desire that same desire that luke had in his heart And what this elder, what this sage said is, we so often in masculinity tie intrinsically desire to fulfillment. And so many men get a dream, and that dream is actually from God. And the problem is they go running. They race out to fulfill that dream, and their world comes crashing down. And so you have so many people, just one small example the entrepreneur that goes out and the business fails miserably, or the youth pastor that goes out, he's called to lead people. And then he ends up spending most of his years in insurance sales. The point isn't that the desire was wrong. The problem is the desire was meant to be the fuel to engage in a slow and steady process of maturity wholeheartedness and learning how to live in union with God so we can become the kind of man that can fulfill that sort of destiny in a way that's on time in every season. And so, John, when you share that story, I have such compassion because so many men have come to such painful conclusions about the heart of God and about their own heart when they were at first motivated by a desire that was very holy. And the hopefulness is you can get that back. This isn't a, oh crap, what do I do now? The beauty of the gospel is there is always and at every moment an opportunity to open a narrow
1: gate and
0: recover the narrow path that leads to life.
1: Yeah, it's really hopeful because nobody told us how important the process was. Nobody. Nobody told us how important the process was. I remember my grandfather, I spent my childhood summers on my grandfather's ranch, and he needed this field plowed, furrowed. You know, he wasn't going to plant crops. He was going to let the pasture grow back, but he needed to irrigate it, so he needed some furrows for the open pipe irrigation there. And puts me on a tractor, describes how he wants the field plowed, and then he just drives away. And it was so loving and kind, because he knew I wasn't gonna do a great job. Yes. But he also knew I needed a job. I needed a job, I needed a chance. And it was eight hours. I sat in that tractor Mm. for eight hours, back and forth in this field, messing it up, trying again, messing it up, trying again. And it was all about the process.
0: Mm.
1: It was all about the things I needed to learn sitting on that tractor. Because I thought I'd crank this thing out in about 30 minutes.
0: Oh, totally. It looks easy, (laughs) right? Yeah. Oh, okay. So when you think of that story now in your current life, what did it do for you in your soul, those inefficient hours, the opportunity to have safe boundaries, to make a mess and learn and fail in something that was actually important work, right? But now you find yourself in a pretty high-level leadership role with great worldwide influence. How does that story shape you?
1: Well, it's the context of love, that within the context of love, we have permission to fail. We have permission to process. We have permission to try And I didn't have that. I didn't have that for a lot of years in my career, in my life. It was get it done, get it done now. You know, it's the message of the world be amazing. Right. The message of the world is be amazing and be amazing now. And so to look back at those years and go, wow, there was a kingdom under a kind and loving man within which I could grow and learn, and I could be nine, I could be 13. I could be 17 and I didn't have to be 25. I didn't have to be, you know, have it all together. I think most men have no concept that that kingdom exists in God. Yes. That, that there is a loving kingdom within which your process can take place.
0: Yes. And the hopefulness of this message, John, that we live in is. We live in two kingdoms at the same moment, right? We are always in the kingdom of God, which is very near. And we are in the kingdom of this world. And so what's so helpful and hopeful is that there is always access to that initiation, that brilliance of God recovering this message of becoming a king for us in this age is that it's not a stage that a man can skip. Truth be told, much of it was supposed to happen for a young man when he's going from boyhood to manhood, right? For a boy that's properly initiated, fathered by a man who's become the kind of man he would like his son to be. But then there's another window of opportunity that often happens around the 30s where it's marked by these, these milestones, but it's something like we begin to understand that our life has consequences to other people. You know, they always have consequences to other people, but there's an impact where we make choices that are behind us, right? We find ourselves often with young marriages, young kids, young careers, and it gets very real. And there are these windows of opportunity. But the hope is even when a man misses that, and he continues to cultivate his false self and just pursue making a name for himself, making a little money, getting something going. There are always on ramps to get back to recovering his whole heart. And you can't skip this. And so, whatever age a man is, there is an invitation to say, Where has my kingdom become propped up? Where is it extended beyond my capacity? To rule. And because we exist in two kingdoms, my deep belief and conviction is that so much is happening on the level of motive. And so we can enter afresh this process of initiation and restoration right here and now, whatever stage of life we're in.
1: It's so hopeful that God is committed to that. Okay, I want to just read some of the chapter titles in the book. So the first yeah. chapter one, Becoming Powerful. Give me two sentences on that.
0: When can you entrust a man with power? Right? Those are your words that you taught me years ago. And that's the question. We're made to be powerful. What's gone wrong? And how do you
1: recover it? Chapter two, becoming a son.
0: You know, McDonald said the hardest and gladdest thing in all the earth is to cry out, Father, with a full heart. That if we could look at most men's life, John, and the struggles, what we would find below the fear, below the pain, below the unmet dreams is a condition of fatherlessness. And when we come to accept that God is a loving father and we begin to engage our hearts in responding to God's initiative to father us. So many other things come ordered, and we can actually find the joy and the strength in the life that we were meant to be. And so much of it is rooted in becoming a son. Let me jump to chapter five, becoming a generalist. Yes. It's been quoted by quite a few people that the outside of a horse is one of the most important things for the inside of a man, We live in a world that celebrates and fuels specialization, and what's happened is men gravitate towards the thing that they're very good at, and that thing often takes a very narrow expression, and part of that is the image of God in a man, but what the gospel suggests is before we can become particularly the man that we were meant to be, we first have to be men and develop what we share in common. And so the question is, as we have shied away from our places of fear and uncertainty and discomfort, because we lack initiation, parts of our soul become atrophied. And so the question of becoming a generalist is what is the path and the process of recovering the whole of a man, the basis and foundation of masculinity of the things we share in common and the foundation of which we were meant to then become uniquely the man we were intended to be. But in this world, one of the greatest heroic and joyful acts we could ever take is to recover the generalist and explore those things that we find very uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, if you don't know how to mow your yard, mow your own yard, right? Don't hire somebody. Exactly. You don't know how to paint the living room, paint the living room. Don't hire somebody to do that. Right. right? And
0: notice what comes up inside you when your wife has been doing the finances for your whole marriage and you take on the finances, or you've been the guy doing the finances your whole marriage and you give up the reins and you say, honey, have at it. Yeah. Notice what comes up.
1: Oh, it's so good. It's so good. God is so kind and loving and wants to shape us. He really does. He wants to finish the unfinished work in all of us, men and women. He wants to finish the unfinished work. He wants wholeheartedness. I'm stoked about this. Comes out at the end of the month. What is it? May 26th, the book comes out? But it's available now for pre-order, and you did a really fun thing around the pre-order. You brought in the wives of men who have walked in this and you asked them a bunch of questions. Tell me about oh that my recording.
0: Goodness. It was an incredible risk. And I say risk because I didn't know how it was going to go. But yeah, in the recording the audiobook, I offered some really cool kind of bonus material. But one of the pieces at the end of the audiobook I felt would be really helpful to listeners is to pull in men that have walked this message, men that have consented alongside of me for over a decade to this radical recovery of the path and the process that restores the heart of a man. So I grabbed those guys and asked them, what's it been like? What are the stories? How's it going? And in that conversation, John, uh, which is part of the audio book, I felt the spirit say, you wanna really hear this? Get their wives. Right? And Oh my goodness. I thought, really? But I have to tell you over our 22 years now in this together, you and I both know the things that's most moving is when we receive a letter from a grateful wife that says, thank you. Like, thank you. I have my husband back. Thank you for what God has done in him through your work. And so I grabbed my wife, And I grabbed the wives of those men and I put them around a table and I said, I want to hear it from you. What's it been like living with a man who's consented to this path and process? What is his impact on you, on your children, on your world? So it was a delightful conversation. And that is an offer that's exclusive for any orders that come
1: in before May 26. Oh, that's awesome. I'm stoked about this book getting out. I really am. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for what God is doing through you and through this message. So pre-order it, folks. You're going to love it. And you're already thinking of like six guys in your world who need this. Get it for them. Hey, John, I'd love to
0: take this opportunity while we're together in this space uh, to say thank you to you because you pioneered something Uh, It's been said of Winston Churchill that nobody became more of what they didn't have. And it was speaking to him as a father. And I want you to know that you took a risk on me. I was a young man. And what you could have done was set me in leadership. And I would have fought bravely and died quickly. And instead, you invited me to take a lower seat. To enter a season of training and really walk with me in this. And so a lot of this is the fruit of you being a good king and caring for me and other people entrusted to your care. And so a lot of this message is simply a celebration of the risk that you took. And so while we're doing this podcast, it's important, most important for me to have the chance
1: to say thank you. You're welcome. I gambled well. (laughs) (laughs) It was a good roll of the dice. So where do people go? How do they get more? How do they hear some of this cool audio stuff?
0: Yep. So the becomingaking.com is the landing page for all of the suite of the message of becoming a king. There's the book and the audio book. I developed a six session video series, which is a really winsome way to introduce people to it. And it has a companion study guide. And the study guide's really cool, John, where I wrote it as two parts. One is an introductory level with some really big idea questions and some guided prayers to introduce new people to this worldview, this way of recovering the masculine soul. And then part two of the study guide is a really deep dive. It's uh, similar to the Water Heart Field Manual in that it walks with a man steadily over time. There's a lot of further reading, further excavation. For the man that consents to the path and the process, the study guide is really designed to take him intimately and deeply into those places, both individually or as a group. So we put together a really beautiful trailer, and there's all sorts of other offerings. It's all at becomingaking.com.
1: There it is. So excited. Gang, you've been listening to a conversation, John Eldridge and Morgan Snyder, about his new book, Becoming a King. And um, Father, we pray that you would use this in the lives of a lot of men, a lot of women, and a lot of families. Amen. Amen.